But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, we have a, a great study in verses 1 through 11, things that are really relevant to us. We're going to see, in, first of all, just some questions on, on litigation, and then we'll talk about some questions on salvation. I don't know if you've ever heard of what's called the Socratic teaching. Socratic teaching. I'm assuming it's from the philosopher Socrates, and basically, uh, the foundation for critical thinking defines this as the oldest and most powerful teaching tactic for fostering critical thinking. And so in Socratic teaching, the focus is on giving students questions and thereby making them process it, making them think it through, and then they logically come to the answers for themselves. And when you learn that way, you know, through questions, it, it just makes it like stronger. And that's what Paul does in our study today. We're going to see there are 10 questions in the passages that we go over. In verse 1, there's a question. Verse 2 has 2. Uh, 3 has 2. 4, there's another question. And then verse 5, uh, 2 more in verse 7, and then in verse 9. So a total of 9 questions that um, I, I think are, are intended to solidify these things in our heart. And so let's begin by reading and then we'll come back and break it down a little bit. In verse 1, Paul, Paul's uh, asking them, how dare you? Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Uh, of course not, right? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? See, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and these are things that they were dealing with. These are things that they were struggling with. There was a huge problem back then. Uh, the Greeks in general, the Athenians in particular, were known for their countless court cases. It was pretty much... In those days, litigation without limitation. Kind of similar to our nation today, right, where uh, 40 million lawsuits are filed every single year, right? And so you guys hear about it all the time. Uh, and there are some cases in the court, they have their merits. There is that need for justice in the land. But at the end of the day, I think you might agree with me when they say that frivolous lawsuits have almost single-handedly ruined our economy and so when it comes to these things going to court you know filing lawsuits suing people we need to be very careful and at the same time we need to be open to god's word because we're going to see it teaches us that if your issue is against another believer you should actually settle it amongst yourselves you don't need to take it to court you know let the church settle those issues and Paul's going to talk about that because there was a struggle there. And one day you might be facing something like that. And, uh, and he gives us the reasoning for that. And the first reason is this. Why would you as a believer go to court in front of non-believers? Because what that does is it ruins your witness. 
It ruins your witness. See, we read that in verse 1. Again, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? In verse 6, look at what it says again in verse 6, but brothers goes to brother against brother and that before unbelievers? I mean, these guys were, were disobediently daring, you know, God in one sense. How, how dare they do this there in the heart of the city, in the public marketplace, before all the world to see Christian was bringing Christian before the civil magistrates with these legal disputes. You know, they were there in front of them fighting for their rights. And so um, can you imagine what the non-believer was saying when they saw the Christians doing this? I mean, hey, aren't those the guys who say they're Christians? Uh, they're really going at it, huh? <laughs> Maybe that's what they mean when they tell us to fight the good fight. That's what they're doing right there, right? I mean, they just lost their witness. I don't know if that, that's important to you, your witness, but to me it's huge. It's huge because I, I can't think. My heart beats. I live because I want to see people get saved. I want the church to get stronger. I want your families to be blessed. And if my witness is, is marred, then that's going to hinder all the things that are important to me. You know, recently, I mean, even, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm consumed with it. Not that I necessarily care what, what you think about me in and of itself. That's not really the major issue. The major issue is I want to be a witness so that people can know that God is real, that God lives in me, that Jesus loves them, that they would want what I have. And my witness, it's everywhere. It's the way you drive your car. How many of you here have a Christian sticker on your car, just out of curiosity, just out of curiosity? Today, my wife and I were on their way to church service, and we saw one of the cars with a stick, Christian sticker. They were speeding. And I thought, whoa, that's crazy. So you know what we did? We passed them up. <laughs> And so, you know, some people, I mean, but no, I mean, seriously, me as a, as a pastor, they know, hey, a lot of times I see people, they know, hey, aren't you the guy over there? I mean, I have to watch everything, everywhere I go, whenever I'm in public, when I'm at home, I want to be a witness to my kids. I mean, even like at my house, like, you know, recently we had this English ivy go up on our house and it started kind of like going crazy, you know, so I said, you know what, I got to take it down. And I took down the English ivy and I pulled it all out, you know, three feet from the house. And there was paint. It was just taken off the house. And so it looked awful. It looked horrible. And so, you know, even though it's been hot lately, I knew what I had to do. I went and I scrubbed all that stuff off, which was a, which is a difficult thing to do. And that pulled the paint off even more. And, uh, and then I went, we got some paint, and I painted it. Not because I want my house to look good, to be honest with you. It's not, it's not even the reason. The reason is my witness that people drive by the car and they're like, hey, isn't that where the pastor lives? Look at, you know, his house. Look at what's going on. And it's because I don't want anything. I don't want anything to get in the way of people getting saved. You know, and that's kind of what, what Paul is dealing with here. Here you, you're Christians and you're fighting amongst yourselves and all the non-believers are watching what, what's going on in your life. They're not going to want Jesus. They're not going to want to get saved. And who knows, maybe because of uh, the loss of witness and the, the lack of character, that might even prevent someone from getting saved. 
Now, I know that puts a lot of pressure on us, and, and there's a balance there, but, but I don't know about you, but man, to me, my witness is huge. You know, and you say one bad word to someone, and that, you know, makes them stumble. I mean, we have to constantly be on guard. And so Paul here, he's telling them about their witness. I mean, listen, I know that the court cases, it's, it's rampant. It happens everywhere. And I know that's how you used to be before you were Christians. But, but we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be the salt on the earth, Jesus said in Matthew 5.13. We're supposed to be lights in the darkness to show them the way and to shine. You know, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven, right? He said that in Matthew 5.16. And then Paul wrote in Philippians 2.14 and 15, do all things without complaining and disputing and you, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And there's a lot there. I mean, there's the complaining that's a bad witness. I mean, there's things that happen, unfortunately. And when he talks about the lights that shine in the world, he's talking about how sometimes at night you can look up at the stars and they shine so bright. What a contrast. This morning I woke up and I looked up in the sky and I saw the stars and I just said, Lord, how beautiful. And then the Lord reminded me of this passage. Manny, that's how I want you to shine. Some stars shine, shine, shine brighter. Lord, let that be me. Let me get out of the way. My pastor used to tell me, let Jesus express himself through you. But if you're, you know, here and you don't care and you just want your money, you just want to be right, you want to fight in front of the non-believer, you're dragging Jesus' name through the mud, that's what Paul is consumed with most. You guys know, just as well as I do, that his heart beat for the lost. Our kids... They see. And so we have to watch our witness. The world is watching us. We're supposed to be a reflection of Christ. But if we claim to be Christians and refuse to live like Christ, we actually then do more harm than good. That's why Proverbs 25, 26, it says, A righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. Imagine, you know, you go and you want to give them water and in the process you give them poison. Our witness, our witness, our life, that everyone is watching is so important. And we just want it to be real. We're not putting on a show. We're not. We're just trying to be real all the time. We love God and we love people. And so right here, it's interesting because when you think about these people going to court and fighting each other in front of the non-believer, it's just the antithesis of what it means to be a Christian. The conduct of the Corinthians was a far cry from Jesus' epic command to us in John 13, 35. He said, by this, all will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so this is how the watching world will know your Christians. This is how they know your Jesus disciples, by your love for one another. And so what in the world are you doing here fighting each other? It's like, like cats and dogs. And it's interesting because the last time I checked the dictionary, all means all, that's all all means. 
By this all will know you're saved if you have love for one another. And that's not just the watching world that's non-believing. That's the Christian world. That's you. How do you know you're a Christian? How do you know for sure you're a Christian? By your love. Your love. And so here they were doing the exact opposite of that, right? And so we have to watch our witness. That's the one thing Paul mentions here. You don't need to do it that way. And then the second thing after the word witness is the word worthy. Believe it or not, we're worthy to judge these things. Look again at verse 2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? The rhetorical question is, no, you, you're, you're worthy. Even though we don't feel like we are, we are because we have the grace of God, we have the word of God, we have the spirit of God, and we have the love of God. And therefore, whatever the situation is, whatever the conflict, argument, debate is, we can actually settle it among the saints. And so, you know, Paul asked that question, do you not know that you will judge the world? Did you guys know that you will judge the world? You know, some people say, well, actually, I didn't know that. Well, the Bible teaches, you know, we will judge the world. Sometimes Christians struggle because they don't know. They don't know God's word. We don't take the full scope of the scriptures into consideration. Well, consider this truth now. Let it sink in. You, if you're a believer, you will judge the world one day. And it's an interesting uh, truth that will take place for sure in the millennial kingdom and maybe even beyond the millennial kingdom. You know, I'm not sure exactly where my jurisdiction will be. I know it won't be in Israel because the Lord promised that to his disciples in Matthew 19:27 through 28. The Bible says that Peter answered and said to him, See, we've left all, followed you, therefore what shall we have? Lord, what are we going to get because we're serving you the way that we're serving you? And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, uh, there's no doubt about it. This is not an ambiguous promise. It's clear. It's definite. Assuredly, I say to you that in the generation when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And so Judas was replaced by Paul. So he's telling those guys that in the millennial kingdom, they're going to be judging there in Israel. But it's not just for them. It's for us, all of us who are believers. Jesus gave that promise in Revelation 3.21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Think about that. Jesus said, just as my, I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And so here's the promise. Life is going to be tough. Jesus said in John 16:33, In this world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Life is going to hit you in the face. Life is going to sock you in the stomach. We're going to go through difficulties in life. The devil is going to do everything he can to try to get you off track. The question is, will you believe till the day you die? Will you be an overcomer? And, and if you are, all you got to do is rest in the blood of Jesus till the day you die. Don't go to the right or the left. You stay on track. If you're an overcomer, then the Bible says right there that one day you, my friend, will judge. You will rule and reign with Jesus. You will sit with him on his throne. And if you're going to be judging in such a way, then in that kingdom that's perfect, 
what Paul is saying is, then you should be able to do so now. Because when we judge then, it's going to be the same thing, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the love of God, the grace of God. We're going to be there with real-life situations. People are going to repopulate themselves in the millennial kingdom, and they're going to have questions, and they come to us. Jesus said, go to them. You know, I think I'm going to be in Hawaii. I'm pretty sure I already got that wrapped up because I've been talking to the Lord about that, but we'll see, you know. But it's going to be on earth for a thousand years. King Jesus will reign. You know, and, and I thank God for that promise to me. It makes so much sense. You guys hear it in the news all the time about all these shootings, all these shootings. I mean, what's the answer to this? They say, well, makes, you know, gun control. And, and, you know, yeah, maybe there is an aspect where there does need to be better laws. But if you take the, the guns away from the citizen who obeys the, the laws, then you, the bad guys aren't going to obey the law. There, there really is no answer to that. You know, we're trying to balance everything out with all the different issues, all the drugs, all the craziness, you know, all the, the, the borders. I mean, what's, what's the answer? The answer is Jesus. He's the only one. It's the only faith. I think of these shootings, people dying, some guy shooting randomly. A little baby got shot. It was in the carriage or in the stroller right there. I mean, it's crazy. And it's like, Lord, I don't know if it's ever been like this. But come, Lord. Come. He's coming. He's coming. And when he comes, he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. He'll sit on the throne, and we will reign with him. That's what Paul is saying. That's all he's saying. We read it in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10 where the Bible talks about these people falling down before the throne and worshiping him. And it says, And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And in Revelation 20 and verse 6 says the same thing, that we shall reign with him a thousand years. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, uh, same promise uh, that, that if we endure, that we shall also reign with him. In Luke chapter 19, remember when Jesus told the parable of the minas, everybody was given one mina, and then they came back, they were supposed to do business while Jesus was gone, and then they stood before Jesus, and then Jesus would reward them according to their faithfulness, what you did and why you did what you did. Did you really live your life for Christ? Did you really believe that model? There's only one life, soon it will pass, only what's done for Christ will last. If you did, then you'll hear those words from Jesus there in Luke 19. He said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in very little, have authority over ten cities. And then in verse 19, it's five cities. All I know is that somehow, some way, whether it's ten, five, one, three, we're going to have this jurisdiction. We're going to have this, you know, life where we rule and reign with him as kings and and judges. And so, you know, Paul here is trying to, to, to teach us that, that theology, that eschatology, so that, that we would bring it now into effect now. So you don't need to go to court. That guy doesn't know the Bible. I mean, thank God we do have in, in America some pretty good laws, the Judeo-Christian uh, uh, foundation. But at the end of the day, uh, we don't just want the legalities, the legal laws. We want the biblical laws want everything to be taken into consideration. And so don't go over there, Paul says, between Christians. You just go 
to the church, settle it among the saints, because you are, are, are far wiser than you realize. You may not feel worthy, but you are worthy because you have the grace of God, the word of God, the spirit of God, and the love of God. And you can settle those differences uh, between each other. And then in, in verse 3, there's another, do you not know, do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? You know, and so it's just good to know. Paul here is saying you got to know. You're going to judge the world one day. You will judge angels one day. Now, what do you think that means? We're going to judge angels. Now, I'm not sure. I was thinking maybe I can have a conversation, like, I don't know, rate my guardian angel after life, the one that watched over me and say, hey, dude, what happened? You know? I remember when I was riding my bike in Washington, and I was going fast, and I was having a good time, and the front tire, it fell off the bike, it rolled away, the forks got stuck in the grass. I went shooting, I was flying, I landed on my chest. Where were you? <laughs> and he might say, well, I was there when you were drunk driving. And I saved your life, and I spared you from killing someone else. I don't know for sure. I don't actually think it's going to be us judging good angels. I think when you read the Bible, we will judge bad angels. And that's an interesting thing. You know, when I read the scriptures, the only thing that seems to make sense is that we will be part of determining the degree of punishment that demons will receive. And that's a heavy, heavy thought. Think about all the things that our demons are doing now. And one day, I don't know how for sure it's going to work, but who knows? We sit down with the process and we look at all the, the stuff that was done throughout the ages and we judge them. It's interesting. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, it speaks of the angels. And we refer them to demons, but they're, they're fallen angels and they've been cast down to hell in chains and darkness to be reserved for judgment. The Bible says. And then it says basically the same thing in Jude in verse 6. It says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And so Paul, he tells the, the Corinthian Christians that we will judge the world and the kingdom to come. We will judge angels on that day. And so if the world will be judged by you and you know, angels will be judged by you, don't think that you're unworthy to judge the smallest matters here in this life. You can. You know, why go to the non-believer to settle issues amongst you? Well, who better to deal with drama? And we will have drama. We will have disagreements because we're human. We're going to have issues. Who better to deal with it than the church, right? Because they're going to base their decisions on the Bible. And so we read in verse 4, again, if then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? You know, and, and what we find here basically is that, you know, th there should be somebody among you who can handle this issue, we would kind of call it like arbitration. Now the Jews, they had that. Even in Rome, they had that. They, whenever there was a matter in the Jewish culture and their families, they would go down to the city gates and they would settle it there based on the scriptures. And then it, later on, it got transferred over to the synagogue. But that's how they dealt with their issues. They didn't go to the Roman courts. 
they, they went to the scriptures. They went to the Jewish elders. The same thing should be happening in the church. And so here's something that might be different. Here's something that, you know, you might not be aware of. Let's just say somebody owes you $20 and they don't want to pay you and you take them to court. Well, now you know you don't have to take them to court. All you have to do is let the church know and we can kind of work this out. We'll make them pay you $25 or something like that, you know. But believe it or not, and I just need to say this because it's crazy the things that happen here. And I hope my brothers, if they find out one day that I shared this story, they won't get mad at me because I love them both. But there was two guys in this church, one owed the other $20. And so you know how they settled it? They went outside. They were here in service. They went outside, and they started fighting, physically fighting. And so I was thinking, man, why didn't they just tell us? We would have watched. No, I'm joking. I, <laughs> we were in high school. Remember we used to do that? Everybody fighting. We just go around them. No, I'm sure. Give me a break, you know? You know, here you are, whatever. You're a renter, and, you know, you're not paying your rent, or the landlord's giving you a hard time. You don't need to take it to the secular courts, the non-Christian courts. Take it to the church. Let them deal with it, right? So we can settle these issues amongst ourselves, whatever the case may be. I was even thinking of that lady, Judge Judy, how they use her kind of in a similar way, right? Have you guys ever seen that, Judge Judy? I don't know if it's still on or not, but I know that they would have these real cases, and uh, this TV show would contact them saying, hey, do you want to come and do it here? And then they would sign a contract. There would be arbitration. And they would, whatever the judgment was from Judge Judy, that would be binding upon themselves. That's what we need to do in the church, you know. But the uh, only problem is that a lot of times people won't do that because they're like, well, then I might not get my way. And that's the whole point. Let's bring it before the Lord. Let's bring it before the scriptures. Let's do our best to settle the issue amongst the saints. You know, some would say, I don't know, Manny, that's too organic, right? But, but that's the way they did it then. And Paul is basically saying this should be done among Christian believers. Well, they're not worthy. Well, by God's grace, we are because we will make judgments one day in the world to come. And we have authority even over angels. We can work this out. And so Paul here says, don't go to court in front of non-Christians, number one, because you need to consider your witness, number two, because you guys can settle this between yourselves. You are worthy. And then here's a third reason not to do that. Every once in a while, you have to let yourself be wronged. You know, we, we see that in Matthew 5. But these guys, you know, they would come out of court thinking they've won. Yeah, I'll make them pay up. When in all reality, in God's eyes, they lost going into it. You know, Paul says oftentimes insisting on your rights is wrong. Insisting on justice sometimes is wrong. Every once in a while, you're going to see the Holy Spirit will lead in different directions. I was talking to a brother after first service today, and he told me that someone had wronged him for $100,000. And so, you know, you're thinking, well, that's for sure got to go to court. But, you know, he prayed about it. He brought it to the Lord, and God allowed him to work all that out. And so I, I know that sounds crazy, you know, but I've even seen issues in, in churches where things have happened and so-and-so stole money and that, you know, and part of you wants to take it to court. Yeah, get that guy, make him pay. But, but they're concerned with their witness. And so you have to be careful. Every once in a while, you're going to have to allow yourself to be wronged because when you allow yourself to be wronged, 
you're a lot like Jesus. Look at Matthew 5, if you would. You know, when Christian sues Christian, when church sues church, when ministry goes against ministry, the only one who wins is the devil, right? And so we need to come back to this Christian manifesto. How do I live my life? Read the Sermon on the Mount. Then you're going to get deep. You're going to get crazy. You're going to get radical. But that's where we need to be is radical. The problem with the church and the witness in the world today is we're not radical. We got one foot in and, and one foot out. We're a little like Jesus, but we're a lot like us. And God says, no, this is what I want from you. Look at verse 38 of Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? That's what they told uh, the people, justice, justice. But Jesus said, but I say to you, I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. You know, and so imagine that, you know, and, and in those days a slap was more considered a, an insult, you know, you slap them and, you know, I don't know if you ever get insulted and, and what, do you, what do you do with that? What do you do with it when someone insults you? And it could be your spouse, it could be your children, it could be a stranger and it just immediately, you know, you want to retaliate. You want to put them in their place. You want to correct them. You know, you think that if I, if this is our concept, like if I just correct them, then they'll stop doing it. Maybe if I'm, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt, maybe that's your, you know, motive behind it. But, but that, a lot of times the Lord says, no, when they slap you, if you really want to prevent them from doing it again, then off from the other cheek. You know, I remember one time someone came up, if I'm not mistaken, it was Pastor Raw, and they slapped him. And he just let him. He just let him. Here's a guy that could do three moves, Kung Fu, Samsu, and kill him. You know, but we, unfortunately, we are, are so prideful and unlike Jesus. You know, who are you to, you know, say that to me? And you just, you know, sometimes we just have to, right here he says, listen, if someone stops you on your right cheek, you turn the other to him also. Now, you know, what if someone socks you in the face? Now, that's different probably. I want to tell you guys, you could, you could defend yourself. But even in that, you think there might, there might be a time where maybe the Lord might say, no, don't. I don't know. I mean, for the most part, generally speaking, I do want to, I don't want to confuse you. I want to tell you as a, as a pastor, you can defend yourself. You can, okay? Just restrain them, you know? Um, don't kill them. Just restrain them, something, you know? But um, I, I remember reading about Jim Elliott and the four missionaries that went to the jungles of Ecuador, and they were there as missionaries, and they already had it in their hearts. They said, if these guys uh, come against us and they get violent, we have guns, but we won't use them. And sure enough, the Alca Indians, there in the jungles of Ecuador, they came against these five missionaries who were only there for good, who were only there to love them, who were only there to reach them with the name of Jesus. And when these guys came, they came with spears. And they could have pulled out their guns, they could have killed them, but they said, no, we'll lay down our life. Because if we die, we know we're going to heaven. If they die, they're going to hell. And so they died. And so you might think, what a waste, but... 
A lot of you probably know the story that eventually uh, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, and some of the others, Rachel Saint, they came and they, and they witnessed to the murderers of their husbands, of their brother, and those guys ended up getting saved. Because sometimes, just like Jesus on the cross, sometimes you're just absorbing it. Sometimes you're just turning the other cheek. Sometimes your soft answer, your kindness, your grace, and your love is what they need in order to be saved or in order to change. And that's the principle that we're seeing right here. Paul is saying, you know, you got the court case and I know you think you were done wrong and everything, but why not? You know, sometimes we have to allow ourselves to, to be wrong. That's what Jesus says in verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Uh, and, and, and whoever compels you to go one mile Go with him too. The Roman soldiers, in those days, they had the authority. You know, if they saw you walking down the street, you know, they said, hey, carry my backpack. You had to. You were compelled to. You were forced to. Jesus said, don't just do the one mile, do the two. Why would you do that? Why in the world would you turn the other cheek? Why would you go the extra mile? It's because you want them to get saved. You know, and that can happen in so many ways, even with your kids. Sometimes your kids might, you know, do something and you're like, you're so used to correcting them. You're so used to correcting them. Every once in a while, God might just say, you know what, let it ride because your love and your grace is what they need right now. And then eventually what happens is it's a change of heart. And so, I mean, looking at this right here, we need to be spirit-led in, in everything. We can't put God in a box. You know, back in 1 Corinthians 6, does that mean that there will never be a time when litigation is necessary? Um, what if allowing yourself to be wronged uh, then is spilled over into a greater wrong because others will be wronged? Well, then that might be a case where you need to take to court. You know, I've seen cases where the husband leaves the wife, he leaves the children, he doesn't want to talk to the church. He doesn't want to pay for anything. And he just leaves. You know, I'd be the first to say, you take him to court. I don't care if he claims to be a Christian. Right? There, there are exceptions, right? I, I have a friend who's a Christian attorney, and he's a personal injury attorney. Because there are those times where if someone's been injured clearly through the wrongdoing of another party and neglect, they don't want to help in any way with the bills or anything. So here's this man. He's there to help them with their injuries, not greedily, but biblically. And so there, there will be, there might be those cases. But what this does, this passage, it makes us search our hearts and pray and seek God's will because if we're not following the Lord, we might do more harm than good. I'm more concerned with souls getting saved than I am with making some type of money. I mean, if I have to limp into heaven, so be it. You know, the Corinthians were nowhere near the place they needed to be. It's as if their day in court was, was every day. And so Paul here, he, he paints the picture that they were suing people so much that they could actually be identified as sewers. That's what I see here. It's, you know, the way it works, right? Which uh, you're going to see, it ties into our second point. Look at verse uh, 7 here. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you, 
that you go to law against one another, why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. And then there's this question, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, which are probably a more aggressive form of homosexuality, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, that's a, a person who talks behind you, a verbally abusive uh, slander, nor extortioners, that's a robber, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And so basically he begins with the, the dealing with a very practical issue, the questions of litigation, but then that just transitions into the, the question of salvation. Are you even saved? Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You keep suing people and suing and suing, then you're suers. That's who you are. There's this, there's this thing about, you know, what we do, it shows eventually our true colors, who we really are, right? And so they were doing wrong and ripping off the brethren and the fruit of their life seemed to indicate that the root was rotten. They were not righteous. And so he uses that to transition into a, a broader truth that, that we're not to be deceived, that unrepentant sin, it separates us from God. If they kept suing, then that would show that they did not really know the Lord. You know, um, and that's what was going on there in Corinth. I read about a man named Jonathan Lee Riches, who the Guinness Book of World Records identified as the world's most litigious man. In other words, he's done the most lawsuits in the history of uh, the world, having filed more than 5,500 lawsuits. And so after he found out that they gave him that award, that distinction, you'll never guess what he did. He sued them. <laughs> yeah. And this is what he said. He said, when I get out of jail, I'm going to get a t-shirt that says, watch what you do or I'll sue. So let me ask you a question. 5,500 litigations this man with a t-shirt that says, watch what you do, or I'll sue. Let me ask you a question. Is he a sewer? That, that's who he is. That's what he does. What about you? What about you? You know, right here, he, he gives a list. We know that a tree is known by its fruit right here. And this list we have in verses 9 and 10, it speaks of people who, you know, they, they've not just... This slipped or struggled in these areas. These are pe people who are pretty much set in their sins. Now, Sandy Adams said, if a person engages in the uninterrupted, unrepentant practice of these sins, it's evident that there's something amiss in their relationship with God. Though, though you say you're a Christian, the evidence, it speaks otherwise. You know, right here, again, in verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You know, that, you're not saved. Our righteousness comes from Jesus. You know, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he covers you with his blood. He covers you with his righteousness. 
He imputes it into your account. The Bible talks about how it gets transferred into your account. Just as if like today, let's just say someone blessed you and they transferred a million dollars. They transferred it into your account. How many of you here would be happy? Probably mess you up, but yeah. <laughs> That's what Jesus has done. He's imputed into our account his righteousness. These guys right here, they were not righteous, and their life showed it, right? And notice what he says right here, do not be deceived. I mean, there are going to be some out there that say, it's okay, I can do all these things, and I can still go to heaven. They're trying to deceive you. You don't need to know Koine Greek to understand what the Bible says on these issues. You don't. It says, do not be deceived, neither fornicator, nor idolater, nor adulterer, nor homosexual, nor sodomite, again, like I said, a more aggressive homosexual, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And the Bible makes it so clear. There's no ambiguity. Now, you have a choice. You can believe the Bible or you can believe the world. God here, he makes it so clear. Again, it doesn't mean that a man or woman who struggles with any of these things or thoughts or tendencies can't be a Christian. You know, because uh, we all struggle with these things. At the end of the day, you can talk to any guy here, any guy here, and who's, who's honest, and he'll tell you, yeah, I would, you know, I see a pretty girl, uh, she's dressed a certain way. My flesh wants that. My flesh wants to look at that and feast on that and more than that. That's our inclination, but we say no. We take up our cross because we love our wife. We love God, and we love our family. We say no. We don't take second looks, but our flesh wants to. This is not talking about somebody who struggles with any of these inclinations. That's not what he's talking about. He's just saying, listen, if you're doing it and you don't care, and there's no repentance whatsoever, no desire to change whatsoever, he says, then that's when... You're identified as that type of person. You're, that's your identity now. And such people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And just in case you're thinking, well, then, then there's no hope. It's this amazing, the last verse right here. He says, and such were, were some of you. Some of you guys were like that, huh? I could ask you guys, how many of you here were drunks? A lot of you guys would raise your hands. Adulterers, fornicators, covetous, idolaters. I mean, you name it. All the different things. And God brought you out. I'll be honest. Like I see sometimes the guys that we're dealing with, the homeless guys, and, you know, my heart just, it just aches for them. You know, every once in a while you find a homeless person, they love the Lord, man. And, you know, they're homeless, but they're still, they got a mansion in heaven. But for the most part, a lot of these guys that are out there that we're talking with, my heart just goes out to them because they just can't stop drinking. They just can't stop doing the drugs they can't stop the crystal meth and i think to myself lord that could be me but lord you came in and, and you washed me from my sins you sanctified me meaning you set me apart and you justified me that means it's a legal declaration of righteousness in god's holy sight in the courtroom officially speaking eternally speaking it's just as if you had never sinned. How did that happen? 
when you gave your life to Christ. When you prayed to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, the moment you put your faith in him, the one who died on a cross for you and rose again, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. And now you are no longer in bondage to any of these sins. Now you're not, you know, one of those people who's always fallen into sexual sin. Because now you know it's wrong. Now you have a desire to do right. And now you have the power to overcome. But if you don't have that, if you don't have the desire to do right or the, the power to do it, then maybe you're not a Christian. And maybe today, God wants to change everything. He loves you. He loves you. And he just wants a full surrender. No more two-timing. No more half-heartedness. He wants you to give your heart to him. You know, we're talking about this whole study right here being a Socratic teaching. It's critical thinking when you're just asking questions. Just asking questions. And here's the most important question of all. Are you really a Christian? Do you know the Lord? Do you know for sure that if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven? Now, how do you know you're a Christian? Because it's not just by going to church, but it's by becoming the church. It's not just believing in your brain, but it's faith in your heart. It's not even a position in ministry. No, it's a place in the body of Christ. You know, while you're like, well, I gave God money. Listen, that doesn't get you into heaven. Did you give God your heart? Have you done that? And if you haven't, I pray that today would be the day of salvation Jesus today. He makes it so simple for us. He did all the hard work when he died.